Uticast, episode 25. The no. big 2-5, this is the... It feels good, We're man. a quarter of the way to 100. Yeah, maybe we got some uh, some new listeners. I haven't. I can't tell sometimes, but I think maybe we have some new listeners. So, for those of you who've never listened to the show before, my name is Sam Famolaro, and I'm a bona fide stud and a certified G, and you can't teach that. And this... This is Kevin Sullivan, and he's six foot five, and he's mean as hell, and you can't teach that. And this is Erin Higgins, and she's hot as hell, and you can't teach that. Bada bing, bada boom, toughest podcast in the room. How you doing? I quit. I quit the show. That was a good one. I like that one. No, it's good. <laughs> Episode 25. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, you, you deserve right. everybody an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was a takeoff on a little-known wrestling tag team from a little-known wrestling company called NXT. That's Enzo Amore and Cass, Big Cass, their tag team, and that's their introduction. I heard it this week, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I just, I love it. Um, and I'm just w- waiting for you to leave the show and go become a wrestler. <laughs> well, it's funny, because Christine Bellino, who was our guest this week, yes. had a nice interview. Mm-hmm. Really, really nice time. What, is, what a really intelligent, on-the-ball, fascinating lady. What a cool, cool story she's got, too. She's nice. really excellent. But um, but she walked into the house, and we were sitting there, as usual, watching professional wrestling. And she didn't really bat an eyelash. She just sort of said, mm, okay. And oh, yeah. came in. We did the interview. And we walked back out, and we sort of talking to her on the way out. And she's very polite. And the way out, she's like, what's uh, are you so what's with the wrestling? I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I said, oh, the wrestling. That's is, funny. I was like, wrestling is American Shakespeare. So this is like my favorite <laughs> modern art form. It's like, it's basically jazz. What kind of reaction did you get to that? I think she thought I was being sarcastic. I'm not. That happens a lot. I'm not. That happens too. a lot. It's, I'll always say stuff and people are like, oh, yeah, you're being oh, yeah, sarcastic. No. no, no, I really mean it, but I think, you know. Um, but one of the things that we've talked about as wrestling fans is that a lot more people seem to be aware of wrestling lately. And I've only noticed it because I've been a wrestling fan since the early 90s because my dad liked it and I watched it as a kid. And I've gone through the periods, the lulls, and the highs of people being into it, right? The Stone Cold Steve Austin era where everyone in school had, no, like, it, an It definitely shirt seems on. like more people. I mean, I didn't really... I stopped watching, you know, a long, long time ago. I used to watch when I was a kid, and then I only started, like, when you've moved back here yeah. since, and, like, it's been on so much, I absorb it. Now I catch myself, mm-hmm. like, waiting to see what's going to happen. But it definitely does seem... To have come back around. Because there was, there was a time where everybody was really like, nah, dude, that's the worst. And it had a really big backlash. And I think you've seen a lot more people come back around on it. You certainly see these guys on, like, Sports Center and stuff like that now. And you see, you know, in Sports Illustrated and in, like, major publications, articles written about, like, you know, WrestleMania or wrestling in general or whatever. So it definitely seems to be more prevalent than it has been recently. I'll just say this. Um, there's always a lot of knocks about professional wrestling. And I hear them all the time. I'm sure everyone's always heard them. It's fake. It's fixed. Blah, blah, blah. Here's one of the things I like about professional wrestling that nothing else, that not many things seem to have. 
Uh, and if you actually are interested in any of this, we watched an excellent documentary on YouTube called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. Yes. By, um, I can't think of his name now. That uh, was incredible, though. That was a really uh, good Max movie. Max Landis. Max mm-hmm. Landis. He was a screenwriter of the movie Chronicle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can see him on Chronicle is an underrated movie, too, by yeah. the way. Just sidebar. Go ahead. Uh, but he, he did a, mo- uh, a little video on YouTube. It's 20 minutes long called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. Yeah. And it really talks about how wrestling is one of the few things where you can play a character as an actor for 25 years and watch that character go through 10, 15, 20, 25 story changes, right? Right. Which is very rare. You never, like, how many, if you see Tom Hanks in, 50 movies, he's never playing the same person. He's always playing a different character. Mm-hmm. But The Undertaker's been The Undertaker since 1990, except he's... Well, had- yeah, and I, I think the conversation has evolved past the point of like, oh, it's fake, or oh, it's yeah. scripted, or anything. I mean, these people are still going out and performing these really athletic feats. You know, they're choreographed, but a lot of things are choreographed. You know, there's still enough freestyling going on out there, and I think it's to the point now where it doesn't really matter. Everybody knows it's scripted, but then so you sort of elevate the discourse about it. You start mm-hmm. talking about you know those larger concepts, like you were saying. You know, <laughs> looking at these people as actors and performers, and really telling a story and trying to get people emotionally invested and stuff like that. It's interesting. So when people ask me who my favorite wrestler of all time was, I say Othello because he was a Shakespeare. Character. That's the word. I'm quitting again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's it. No more wrestling for me. On no, the more, no more wrestling. Uh, so let's get people up to speed on a couple things that happened this week. Uh, and let's start with Teddy Bear Toss, which... Uh, yeah, I couldn't go. I was at work, but I heard... I saw the video that you put up on our Instagram, and I, I saw go. a couple other videos. It looked awesome. 11th Annual. It was a huge success. Um, and I gotta say, this is the first one I've ever gone to. I've been gone for a long time. Yeah, you yeah. may not have known that once or for seven years I lived in New York. Did you know that? I, I had heard. Anyway, uh... So this is the first tech I've ever seen this, and I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm kind of a cynical like sports person. I'm always like, yeah. oh, okay, Harry, Teddy uh-huh. Bears. I was, I was very impressed. Yeah, I was not. Prepared. Did you now? Let me ask you a question. To somebody who had never seen it, because I know you went and you picked out that dope camouflage bear. He was really that cool. You brought. <laughs> uh, did you did you realize how big it was gonna be? Like when you got there, or did it take until the goal score? Took until the goal. Oh wow! Until that must have been a cool moment then. Until the because. Because Mr. Maiden Utica, Justin Parkinson, had asked me, hey, instead of uh, joining in on this awesome event, can you film it first, and then when everyone else is done throwing, throw the bear afterwards so that you look like a jerk and you right. hit somebody a couple rows in front of you? And I said, yeah, that's no problem. I can do that. Uh, so I actually filmed it and didn't throw the bear at first. And I was sort of watching it through the, you know, the, the iPhone camera. Yeah, yeah. And I had to stop and look around because I was like, oh, my God, look at this all around me. It's crazy. Isn't that, you know, and, and he forced you to do that. That's a perfect microcosm of, like, what they always talk about. You see these articles now, like, all these think pieces yeah. about, like, oh, people recording everything at live events on their phone or ruining the moment and this and that. Like, they're not fully experiencing it. And it's funny because that's exactly, like, you had to record it to get that video and you looked around and you're like, man, there's really something bigger yeah. hitting here. Um, side note, I think you did college one two nothing. I after the teddy bear toss, I did leave to go to the Horton room, and then I spent a lot of time goofing around with the Horton room. Is real yeah, nice, the Horton right? Room is all right. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can watch the video. It's on our Twitter feed, and uh, I sent it in to the people, good people at New York Sash, who you know. Great job for all the people in New York Sash, people at Utica College. I got to tell you, uh, I got so much good feedback about Scott Hayes from New York Sash, the interview last week. Yeah, like, yeah. I seriously, I had, like, probably four or five people come yeah. up to me and, like, dude, that's one of the most interesting yeah. interviews you've ever done. And we've had some great guests, but people really went out of the way to tell me they enjoyed Scott. You know who else told me that? Who? Is Christine in the beginning of this interview. She's oh, yeah? She's going to talk about how much she liked the Scott interview. Puts a lot of pressure on me. So, uh... Right. 
So anyhow, Teddy Bear Toss I thought was a huge success. So yeah. for everyone who was involved, and there's so many people, you know, uh, New York yeah. Sash, Katie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Christine was even talking about all the keyword stuff that his involvement yeah, that I didn't everybody. know about until that's week you and, see so much that around uh, the city, man. Everybody coming you know, together to do something. There's so many hands in making these things a success, and it's awesome. Obviously, Utica College, who yeah. I had a nice Twitter interaction with. Thanks, Utica College. I would like to get I'm I would like to get the president of Utica College to come on the show and yeah. talk. I was at the uh, best business of the year awards luncheon mm-hmm. for uh, Chamber of Commerce last week, and he was the keynote speaker, the president of Utica College, and he was really really interesting. And I got to talk to him at my work one day for a little while as well, talking about why he slashed tuition and like how to be competitive and build Utica College up as like a major force in education, like going forward and. Uh, so if anybody out there knows him or hears this, we'd love to have him on the show, but I'm going to be reaching out to him anyway. Very nice. Uh, and before we get into the first segment with whoever is going to be on the show this week, I still don't know yet. Another oh. another another last-minute week here. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Operation Uticast. Uh, the donations are closed. Uh, thank you, everybody, all the listeners. You guys are great. We raised $301, which... It's awesome. You know that's it's it's amazing. Three hundred and one dollars is like you know because we had laughed about it. Like we set some we set some different goals. I think the first time we started it, we set it at like a thousand, yeah. and we were kind of laugh like, yeah. oh, we're not doing it. But then like when you look down that list and you really see like everybody who took a couple bucks out of their pocket in the most expensive time of the year, yeah. really thank you from the bottom of our hearts for participating and being involved. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my thought process in this. When Erin pitched it to me initially, she said thousand dollars. I said, yeah, that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know lots of people who would do right. this and this and that. What I didn't really think about when we when we first did it was like we're doing this in oh like dude, how do how do we compete such with, an, everything I mean so I thought initially we're gonna get no money I'm mm-hmm. thinking we're gonna get nothing it looked like a bunch of jerks right. but the fact that we I didn't think we'd get three hundred and one dollars honestly and the fact that we did kind of blows me away so guys you guys are great yeah y'all are the best. Yeah, I think maybe next time we should just do, like, a random Christmas fundraiser in, like, July. July, Christmas. And just, yeah. like, pop it out in July and be like, hey. That's not a bad idea. Raise like, some money for the kids. Christmas uh, in July. So we are tallying. It looks like Christmas in July out there it, right now. Okay. Uh, so we're tallying up the winners. Right now it's a dead heat between your brother, Andrew Sullivan, and the one Dirty Jersey Images, good friend of the podcast, Mark Simon. Uh, we're going to figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, we uh, so for you know just to refresh everybody, whoever donated the most amount got to come and be a guest on the show. And it looks like they're tied. Yeah, because... Right now, from what I saw. Yeah, because here's what it says from Mark Simon, $41, the second tied with your brother. And it says, I'm looking for a joint guest spot with Andy. So thank you, Mark. Because you've now put me out for two guest spots when I had only put away one. <laughs> but so that's we're gonna okay. figure it out. But I think more importantly, you know, we'll figure out. We'll just maybe, maybe one show we'll just have everybody we know come on the show. Maybe the Christmas be three show. hours long. Maybe Christmas, that's what maybe we next week's Christmas, Christmas show. show. Um, um, but I think more importantly, what the people are really salivating over is you made a promise yes. here on this very yep. show. Yep. You said that any person who donated five plus dollars yep. to Operation Uticast was gonna get a personalized handmade mix CD from you. Yep. And it's going to happen. I've already put the mix together. It's uh, it's cooked up in the lab. I just have to burn them. So I'm going to go through and send them out personally to everybody who donated. So are these people getting personalized mix CDs, or you're just making a one-all and doing some? It's a one-all CD, Christmas plus bonus songs that aren't Christmas songs, but I feel like are in the holiday vibe. Okay. A lot of prints. Uh, <laughs> so, and then I'm going to do some artwork on the front, and then uh, and 
you know, it'll be a nice momentum of something, a memento of something nice you did for It'll somebody. Be a wonderful thing for you to lose in your car in three yes. weeks. Throw away after you hear all the garbage. But those it. three weeks. All right, it's that time, buddy. Let's uh, let's crack our beers. Just just UCs this week, huh? Just old school, old go. reliable. If it ain't broken, you don't fix it. Oh man, I came up with a list of my uh, five favorite beers. I'm gonna read it after the Christine Bellino interview. So get ready for that. Okay. Uh, let's see who's in the green room. It should be interesting. short break. Aaron, how was your weekend? Aaron? Surprise! <laughs> oh, no. I wonder if oh. that moment every week for the listeners is disappointing as it is for me. <laughs> like, I wonder if everybody else is having as poor of a time as I am. When uh, I just sit around and mind my own business and you come looking for me. You called in that. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, man. Call this guy's in the room. Um, Parkinson, so we talked a little bit about it already, but you were also at the Teddy Bear Toss event. You were with me. We were rolling squad deep. We were. Um, what was your experience like? You were on the ground level for the Teddy Bear Toss. No, you were on the ice. You've done a couple Teddy Bear Tosses, though. Yeah, from a, a broadcast standpoint to a just doing Made in Utica stuff, too. So it's been right, a little right. bit interesting. So it was pretty cool going down earlier in the day and seeing Matt, who does a lot of stuff for New York Sash's uh, show. Mm-hmm. So he's getting all this stuff uh, set up, and I was helping him out with just a couple of things. Um, but he was also working for the UTR broadcast. So like, part of me missed like the live setup of like a sporting event and directing, right. you know what I mean? Like, but... Because um, you did that for a while. You yeah. Did, you like direct the broadcast yeah, and put in makers, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's always fun. But the view that I had was right behind the goal. You saw the whole penalty shot come all the, all the way in and everything to, yeah. to get the first goal. So I couldn't really couldn't complain. It was a pretty good seat. So, right. No stress that they they actually scored within the first fifteen minutes or so. It was four to one, by the way. You know, I was thinking of with a four to one. Yeah. I don't remember two two zero. No, so uh, it was funny though. I didn't mention this during the thing. Uh, you know, we were. I didn't sit with you. You were down doing your thing. Mm. I was up in the back. Two seats, two rows behind me was this week's interview. Christine Bellini. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god, hey, it's you. Um, I gotta say though, like hanging out with you, because you have like you had a lot of like. They get the press pass because you were doing yeah. a lot of the stuff. I got to walk around the odd. That was pretty cool. The odd is pretty cool. The odd is pretty tight. Were you on the ground level when the bears actually came down? Yeah, I was on ice. That's crazy. Ice skating, pretending with my sneakers on. That's <laughs> <laughs> <was> pretty <laughs> So slushy. You got out there on the ice? I yeah. Admit. What's, okay, what's it like to be out there on the ice mid-hockey game in sneakers? Because I've always kind of wondered. It's, You'd get in a lot of trouble point, for that when you were in the rink and like a little kid when you went like Friday night skating if you tried to wear your sneakers on the ice. Yeah, at, at, the, point where they, at the point where they scored, they had been doing back and forth hockey for like 15 minutes. So that right. was all smushed up. If you went right on after the Zambonis, I'm sure you'd be sliding all over. Right, that makes sense. Uh, I always the weirdest part about the entire event. We won't we won't keep going on about Teddy Bear Toss, but I always thought, I thought this was funny. They score the goal on a penalty goal, right? Mm-hmm. On a penalty shot, first time ever, first time ever. Yep. Um, 
they celebrate on the ice, and then the Bears come down, and then the team's got to just chill for a minute. Yeah. Like, all right, guys. <laughs> like, I know this game means something to you guys, but uh, it's time for the important part. It's time for the Bears. So you guys got to, like, just... I can't even right now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even just go to the penalty box. How can you be mad as the goalie when you just see all those teddy bears? Like, oh, you know. You're like, ah, damn. Oh, damn. Yeah, how, exactly. how mad are you when you're that goalie? And you're like, I don't care. I don't want these kids having any teddy bears. Yes. I'm not letting any goals tonight. It's got to be the best time as a goalie. Like, yeah, I lit up the goal, but by that same token, all these kids uh, are getting teddy yeah, bears. So that's welcome. okay. Total heel maneuver as the goalie. I'd be out there hitting the bears with the <laughs> stick. Like, get this out of here. Get out of here. Come on. Oh man, and uh, it was funny. I, I I sent you the video, and you were you're making a video package. Yeah, with a lot of the the fan submitted stuff. Um, I, I got some access to that, so I'm gonna try to whip it together from a bunch of perspective of <laughs> all around. Awesome. Which I thank you for your your wonderful video. No, is that a, is that a made Utica video, or are you doing that on contract for somebody? Oh no no no! I'm just uh, Katie and. Um, Set it up. It's info at newyorksash.com. Yeah, yeah. send them. If you too. have them, send them there. I'm just accessing them from him. It's so any footage you have from the teddy bear toss, send to info at newyorksash.com? Yep. Cool. Yeah. Yep. That's where I sent our video. I'd really like you to focus in on the end of the video where I filmed John, our good friend John, who I went to the game with, throwing his teddy bear directly into somebody 10 rows ahead of him. Like, just really... It was a heavy teddy bear. Like, he gave that guy a good... And, you know, if John was John, here right now, he so would tell me that... troll that he is. I wonder if he did it on purpose. <laughs> or no. if he just can't throw. You know what he would blame it on, though, is the uh, awful tickets that I gave him for, for free. <laughs> that uh, first thing he says to me, I'm not happy about 217. Like, Welcome to the game. We've already gone way... Bring your bear. We've gone way past this, but... I was sitting next to him. It was me and him and our good friend Andy Cooper and Ryan Miller from yep. Incubator came up. But we're sitting down there, and John is looking down over the crowd. He's like, there's those seats over there. There's three in the front row. They're empty. They could have been, been up on the glass. I'm like, come First on, thing, man. Oh, First man. thing that I see. Oh. That's, that's what he says. All right. Um, so that, was, that had some levity to it. Let's move on to something. Fast teddy bear toss. To something a little more serious. Uh, this was an event that I didn't get to go to. It happened last Thursday in Oneida Square. Uh, I was at work, unfortunately. But I would have liked to go because I have a little bit of uh, national background and heritage that ties into this. Uh, so there was, a, there was a rally for support of the Syrian refugees in Oneida Square on Thursday. I want to say it was from 4.30 to 5. Okay. Uh, they got about 150 people, it turned out. Nice. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot in hindsight when you really think about how small Oneida Square is and what that probably looked like. Yeah, I was people. I was one of yeah. them early. And, I went uh, for briefly right off the, the bat when they first started. And how, uh, how packed was it down there? Uh, it was they they used the whole entire roundabout for the most nice. part. You know they were off by what was it State Street and Jenny like on the mm-hmm. statue there, but they it was there's a lot of lot of support there. It was nice. Um, well, you can go to the OD. Uh, that's where I took the story from from Alyssa Scott, who I follow on the OD. She's always, yeah, yeah. she's always pretty good. Fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Uh, and uh, so she did this story, and I was, it got me thinking about it. Like, we, we don't really get into, like, heavy topics that much in the show. We talked a little bit about, like, the France thing. When it yeah, went yeah down. certain things, but... Um, and, th- again, much like usual, I don't particularly have a hot take on this. Like, anything, like, whoa, you know, but I'm a Syrian-American. Like, my parents, you know, I have an Italian last name, and I look kind of like, uh, like a gunga. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, you know... Uh, I kind of, you know, so most people don't know that I'm Syrian, but, like, it's weird to have this sort of, like, this sort of news story hanging over that I always sort of, like, pay attention to, and it always makes me upset 
when the answer is to be like, no, nah, we're just not going to let anybody in. And that's just my opinion. I know I'm not trying to like take a political stance here, but like this country, you know, for me, my parents are Italian on one side, Syrian on the other. We're all immigrants. No, yeah. we weren't born here. You know what I mean? Um, this country's founded on the concept that we're all immigrants, right? Like, why, why are we blocking the people who are running away from the people we're fighting against? <laughs> like, that yeah. just seems counterintuitive, and I'm, you know... The the notion there's without because I'm not, I'm not going to take too much of a political stance on it. There's something I like about this event that's a little bit of a sidebar from it, but I will say I mean as far as you know the whole I understand the concept that we live in very interesting times here in the world right mm -hmm. now, and I understand the the knee jerk desire to be like well we have to make sure that we don't just let terrorists into our backyard. I can understand what you're saying when you say that. But, like, the, the reality of the situation is, you know, everybody's gotten so whipped up into a panic. Like, when you look at these people, you, you know, you should vet, you should see what you can do, you can do stuff like this. But by and large, if you let the people in, if you give yourself any real honest understanding of what it's like to be somebody who lives in Syria right now, today, if you give yourself any honest understanding of that situation and can't imagine that there would be so many, you know, good people who just want to go to work and take care of their families and just have a regular life and chill out. If you can't imagine why so many of those people are leaving, I think a lot of the people with the anti, like, ah, who cares, just leave them out there, you know, or we'll form a safe place for them out there or whatever, don't really want to recognize the gravity of the situation. But I'm not going to give too much either way. It's a very complex issue, whatever. But what I do like about this event that was organized in the Square I love the fact that people are getting up and going out and protesting mm. for something. Yes. And it's huge for a city like Utica. I mean, we have we have such a great, great refugee population here, be it from yeah. the Bosnians in the early 90s that everybody knows about. We have tons of people from, you know, Sudan and Myanmar and Somalia and Russia and Belarus and Yugoslavia, all these different places, and these people do great things for this city. And if you look around, and, you know, not for nothing, all those Bosnians who came in the early 90s, the Bosnians who are rebuilding East Utica by hand, those same Bosnians are generally majority Muslim people. Yeah. The people who fixed up that old broken down church and turned into a beautiful mosque downtown, they're Muslims that live in Utica and support this community. And so I don't really know what to tell you except for get a little bit more educated and look at things as more of shades of gray instead of black and white. There's a, uh, there's a quote uh, from Brendan, uh, Brendan Dunn, who's one of the activists who was involved with this, and he sort of is in line with you. Mm -hmm. He says, I'd like to see even more refugees in this city. I think refugees, in a lot of ways, save this city from complete collapse, which is not totally off base. He's not wrong at all. Yeah. He's not, wrong <clears> he's not all. even all the way going back. Like, you look at, I see a lot of, I see a lot of dumb people talking about how, like, all these refugees shouldn't have to come over. If they come over, they should assimilate. And these are the same people that brag about the fact that, you know, their grandparents still speak primarily Italian and make wine and sauce every weekend. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like you said, we all come from immigrants. Every single one of us. There's a video I saw on uh, Twitter, and it was probably a couple weeks back. I think it was KTV that had it. Um, I'll have to repost it. But it was a video from inside a council meeting uh, where Utica Councilman Frank Vicera was propositioning legislation to request a moratorium on the acceptance of any Syrian refugees into the city. Uh, and I would have a hot take about it, but if you watch the video, he gets shut down pretty quickly, and it's very funny. That so, makes me very happy. <laughs> <was>, I am... <laughs> Not, I, am, I am way into that. If Frank Vassero wants to get shut down on camera, he's got 101 yeah. reasons I'd love to watch yeah, it. It doesn't... Uh, 
take much to say that he just won't do himself. So it's really yeah, not sure. worth so who, calling who out. Who organized this rally down there? Uh, the name that was uh, mentioned in the paper was Brendan Dunn. I also know that Derek Scarlino, who I know going yes. pretty far back, was involved in this a lot. I saw we should. Uh, Derek Scarlino runs. I don't know. I know we've talked about it before. He yeah. runs a website. It's like a WordPress site, I think. It's called Love and Rage, and he writes tons of articles, mm-hmm. uh, really, really in-depth, well-informed articles with other smart people from the community about, like, you know, all of all, all the different issues that affect the world and the depth that people don't really see them. I would recommend that everybody checks out his website because he can give you a lot more information than we ever could about almost anything. I'll try and get him on the show. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. He's a he would actually probably be a pretty good one to put on. Guy. Um, I'm just going to leave you with this little anecdote, okay? It's not even an anecdote. I went to Ellis Island when I was a kid. Uh, my parents took me to Ellis Island. Uh, first time I went to New York, actually. This was in my... I still had frosted tips and braces. Ouch! Yeah, and braces. I'm surprised they didn't put you back on a boat. <laughs> and, uh, and glasses at the same time. Frosted tips, braces, glasses, button-up Hawaiian shirt. Think about that for a second. Oh, <laughs> seashell necklace or not? Puka shells, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, um... So one of the coolest things I thought about Ellis Island when I was there is they have this big whiteboard, and you basically walk up to it, and you can type in your nationality. There's like a whole bunch of them, and it gives you a breakdown by number of like how many people, how many Syrian Americans live in this state, or how many uh, Irish Americans live in states, and how the uh, immigration population is dispersed across the United States. And it's really? really, really, really cool. And one of the things that struck me really personally as a Syrian American was that New York State particularly had like, blew out every other state. Like, New York State has one of the highest populations of Syrian, refu- uh, Syrian not only refugees, the immigrants in I the suppose, entire United States. I suppose States. you have to take into account how some of that might be overbalanced by New York City as a whole. Yeah. But that being said, I know a ton of people that identify, like, when you're a little kid and everybody talks about your nationality, I'm like, oh, I'm Irish, and this guy's like, I'm Italian. I know a lot of people who said they were Syrian. And even you look around Utica, I mean, how many different Middle Eastern, yeah. like, bakeries and so- how many different places can you get grape leaves in Utica? That's not something that's just everywhere. Only one. My grandmother's house, because that's where. Your gra- no joke, your grandmother makes the best grape leaves I've ever had in my life. Uh, and I stand strong with Karim's if I'm going to go commercial and buy something. That's I stand, true. I stand tight with Karim's. I saw grape leaves. <laughs> I saw grape leaves in the deli at the grocery store. Don't today. get them. No, I, no. I, did, I certainly did. But They're like, soft and lemony. They're no good. Um... Yeah, no, let the refugees in and get rid of all the crummy B-list grape leaves. Send those back. <laughs> I don't want any of those. Maybe if we let in more refugees, uh, we're going to higher quality grape leaves. Uh, I don't know. Let's move on to this week's interview. Who, um, i got to tell you, I'm very rarely am I ever intimidated by somebody who I interview. But Christine Bellino, who you may know from The Keyless Show, or you may know her from The Beer Next Door, or you may know her from many of the numerous things she's been involved with in her time, is one of the smartest, most intense most uh, fascinating, deep people we've had on the show. And I was, I gotta tell you, I honestly was slightly intimidated by her. I think there's a, a, a beautiful um, a standoffness slash um, getting to know each other because you guys are on such completely different yeah. media spectrums. So when you guys a, get together, it's kind of like, what do you do? There's definitely a weird dichotomy like, where it's like, I'm the like <clears throat> rebel radio podcast guy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I'm, you know, she was certainly, on the TV shows. That's yeah. a weird dichotomy. She's yeah. certainly thrown off by the lack of microphones or professional <laughs> uh, quality. <a> studio. <laughs> or tell her to call Ryan Miller. Yeah. <laughs> right, so here it is. Uh, Christine Bellino, we had a really interesting conversation. She's great. And we'll be back after the break.
that was Scott. Um, <laughs> when I went to go interview Scott, um, he he didn't really know what he was getting into. I was dealing with uh, one of his other employees, uh, mm-hmm. my friend Katie, who does a lot yeah, of good work I love for him. Katie, yeah, yeah, she's the best, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> I sort of showed up, and I don't think Scott expected me to start grilling him about pumpernickels <laughs> and being in a punk band. Um, but I'm glad that's you... good stuff to know. Like that was an interesting <laughs> yeah. interview, and I I know Scott mm-hmm. decently, you know, and I I mm-hmm. didn't know any of that stuff. Well, Christine, it's really nice to meet you. Um, I've seen your show, uh, which is on FXV. I didn't know the times. It seems to come on at random times because I'm never home. So I don't know exactly when The Beer Next Door is on TV all the time. Maybe you could let me in on the times. Um, the Beer Next Door kind of airs intermittently. Rick kind of puts it on. Rick Lewis? Rick Lewis puts it on. Rick He's, E. Lewis, yes. to include the E. Rick is a good friend of the pod. We're yes. very familiar. <laughs> It's important to include that too. so much so that when I have him in my contacts, I changed it to include the E because he was giving me a hard time. I get made fun of a lot because my entire phone is very, very like anal attentive. It's everybody's real first and last names, even my parents. Mm-hmm. Like my mom gets mad at me. You don't have her down as mom? I have her down as um, her first name and then in parentheses it says mom. And then, on parentheses, last name. Just in case. I'm always afraid that if something happens to me, someone's going to have to go through my phone, phone and try and find who... I'm throwing my pens around and find who somebody is. Right. And they're not going to know because everyone's going to have a weird nickname. Right. Like, who's Skinny Joe? I'm like, all right. Well. Right. Um, well, it's a real honor to have you here. Thank um, you. The first time I... Well, the reason I brought you in for Beer Next Door stuff is that was the first thing I'd ever really come in contact with, with you. And then, as I dug a little bit deeper, I didn't realize how many other things you had your hand in, to speak, you know, to put it in that way. A um, couple things I wanted to ask you initially. So you uh, you went to NYU mm-hmm. in New York, uh, and you were a broadcast journalism major and also an international political science major. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience like in New York? Well, it was funny because I had, I grew up in Florida, uh-huh. in Miami, and I was part of this weird, I ca- like to call it a flowers for Algernon type of program, <laughs> but for people who weren't as intellectually impaired. And uh, they took basically smart children and tried to like cram as much information as they could into those little brains. <laughs> and I think the program started out with like 200 children. And I think by my junior year in high school, so we started out elementary school. And when, by the time I got to 11th grade, I think there were three of us left. And in 11th grade, I decided I just couldn't do it anymore. So I dropped out of the program, and two of my great friends stayed with the program. But I was in that program because, A, I wanted to be a doctor Mm -hmm. more than anything. Really? And Yes. And I also wanted to be a science writer. So I thought, okay, there has to be some way that I can combine the two. Mm. So, and then I really wanted to get out of Florida, which... It always perplexed me that everybody wants to go to Florida. I, uh, I won't say anything disparaging, but you made a good choice. You made a fine <laughs> Well, choice. now that I'm older, I understand. I get it. I get why everybody wants to be back there. I'll say this. I went to Florida for a wedding not too long ago, and mm-hmm. I was a little bit negative. I, maybe I was a little bit overly negative going down. I was like, oh, this is going to be so hot. I had three of the best days I've ever had. I was just on the beach. I was like, this is great. I could do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to wear a shirt. I'm sorry, we're getting knocked down. Get knocked is out. that this kind of show? Is this that kind of show? Well, you know, we're, we go all <laughs> over the place on this show. We're very risque. Um, so you left Florida. You went to New York. Yes, actually, I, I really disappointed my mom because mm-hmm. she was a single parent, and I had a full ride to any school mm-hmm. that I wanted to go to because I was in this weird program. Sure. To any school in Florida, mm-hmm. and 
and I decided that I was going to apply to one school and one school only, and I was going to turn down all the scholarships. And I told my mom, if I don't get, the dean of students had come to our high school and made a presentation, and I said, that's where I want to go. I want to go to NYU. And so I came home and told my mom that I was applying to NYU, and she's like, great. And I'm like, but I didn't tell you I'm not applying to anywhere else. I'm not <laughs> accepting it, any scholarships anywhere else. I'm just applying to NYU, and if I don't get in, I'm not going to college. So my mom was ready to freak out. So thankfully, I got accepted because otherwise, I don't know what I'd be doing today. But so I went to NYU and I hated it. Really? I was there two weeks and I called home and I said, the skies are gray. Oh, yeah. Everyone wears black. They all walk around oh, yeah. with a frown. Yep. And there's all kinds of weird people around, which is a lot coming from somebody who's from Miami. I said, I, I can't uh, handle it. I want to go home. And she said, nope, you're going to stick it out. I just want you to stick it out this semester mm -hmm. and see how you like it. And so I did. I stuck it out. I was so grateful. And um, she ended up losing her job my first semester. Oh, wow. So I had to take a couple of jobs, and I was pre-med at the time. Mm -hmm. And I just I felt burnt out because of that weird program that I had gone through. Yeah, of course. And I just said, so I, I decided one day during my biology, final biology was my favorite class. Yeah. I walked in, and you know they have these huge classrooms of 300 people. I walked in, wrote my name on the paper, turned it over, and walked out the final exam. And so my professor That's called me. That's a power me. move. That's pretty good. It was <laughs> not a good move when you're paying as much for tuition. It, well, in hindsight, it's not, but like yeah. at the moment, I, I can see, like, yeah. I felt very You felt so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, because, you know, you know everything when you're 16, 17 years old. Of course. So he called me and he said, you know, you don't want to do this. You have, mm. you know, an A in this class. You don't want to do this. And I said, no, I, I can't do it anymore. And he said, well, I'm not going to fail you because you have, and I explained to him, you know, what was going on in my brain. And I'm sure he thought I was absolutely crazy. So I turned away my whole, he didn't fail me. I think I got a D and I decided to just go the journalism route. Yeah. So from that point forward, my experience in New York was challenging, but yeah. really great. How long were you in New York for altogether? Um, altogether, what in, for college it was four years, and then I left for a while, and then came back. Mm -hmm. So I worked for uh, about seven years straight in New York City, and then I came back a couple of times. I did about seven years straight, and four years college, and then three hangover, which people who listen to the show will know. And ad nauseum, are tired of hearing me talk about. But uh, it really does. I think when you move to New York, you either decide, oh yeah, this is it, I'm never leaving. Like mm -hmm. you know, you know right off the bat, right. or you. You're like, eh, let's see. And I think there is a time frame for it, especially for certain types of individuals. It doesn't, the glamour fades away after a while. It does. I didn't think I could yeah. ever raise a family there, number no. one. No. And I have too expensive. incredible respect for people yeah. who do. And I, you know, I can never see pushing a baby stroller down the subway mm. steps. Oh, and yeah. I've seen all the days with some, some poor single mother having to pick up a whole. Uh, thing and take down three flights of subway. So it's just every day. You're just like, I don't know. Like, yeah. salute, but... But I, I never yeah. thought, you know, at the time, mm -hmm. I thought, I want to live here forever. You know, the whole, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere yeah. kind of thing. I learned an incredible amount of knowledge that you can only learn in New York, I think. I worked with some amazing people. And I think once I went into the Air Force and lived on Air Force bases... Mm -hmm and saw, oh my goodness, this is what it's like to live with manicured lawns and everybody doing the same thing. And, you know, on one hand it was kind of nauseating, on the other hand it was very stabilizing. 
And after that, I, I didn't, I couldn't mm. go back to living in New York. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. Did you go into the Air Force after New York before you came to upstate? I bounced around. You bounced so much. around. Yeah. yeah. So right after college, I went to Austin, Texas. Oh wow! And I worked for a radio station there, KLBJ, which was a CBS radio station. Mm-hmm. I interned there. And then I, to pay my bills, I got a job at Dell Computer Corporation, and then I worked at KBVO TV, and at one time, I worked at all three at the same time. And I think my combined <laughs> salary from all three jobs was $11,000 a year. So it was, you know. So uh, what advice do you have for any young journalists out there listening who are following this? Now, I, I, talked about, I thought about journalism as I finished my history uh, degree because I wanted to go into teaching, but... Uh, I had been somewhat discouraged by other teachers in my family who had sort of told me it's not exactly what it once was and I should mm-hmm. start maybe thinking about doing something different, not just buying into this thing. And I was always fascinated by journalism, but it seemed like the competition is so intense. I think so. I think there's a lot of competition. I think, you know, the one thing that I tell every intern that comes through our doors mm-hmm. is that if you don't love it, yeah, don't do it. Oh, yeah. Because... There's a lot of stuff, and I guess it's like any profession, right? Of Where, course. First of all, it's nothing is the way it was even 10 years ago. Oh, it moves so fast now, too. It does. Yeah. And so, you know, literally, we talk about things sometimes. This year's WIBX's 90th anniversary, mm-hmm. and so we were going through some of the stuff, the old <laughs> reel-to-reels and the old carts, and a lot of what we are talking about, like the other two people on our show, Jeff Manaski and Andrew Dominio, mm-hmm. have no idea what we're talking about. So Bill and I will talk about, you know, oh, remember when you had to splice the tape this way? <laughs> and they're going, splice the tape? What are you talking about? Because it's all digital now, you know? So I, my advice would be if you can't keep up with change and don't like change, this is a, the wrong profession for oh, you. Yeah. And you really, really have to love it because it can consume you, mm. you know? So it's it is true, and I've uh, we've talked a lot about professions on the show. Going back, I'm, I came from like a waiting background for a long time. I waited tables, and now I've moved my way to the office sector at the moment, and mm-hmm. it's a strange transition that I'm not totally fulfilled with, and I'm having ups and downs with it. But that that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to what you were talking about. Wait, you let's were... get back to the waiting tables, though. I think that that's something that everybody should do. Oh well, <clears throat> you learn so much, right? Waiting tables. <clears throat> I actually still romantically have. Like pro, like, like pro, pro forward feelings about the waiting industry and people who do it because it is a very thankless it position. Is, yeah. And and people will say, oh, they get tipped and they make, and you do make good money depending on where you work. I worked at a very, uh, very popular. I doesn't. I can say it. And I worked at Carmine's, which is a very popular touristy restaurant in Times Square. Mm-hmm. And it's a very. If you work as a waiter in a restaurant like that, you will make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You won't. You won't be hurting. You'll be enjoying yourself. You'll have spending money. But it's just that. I think the hours and the time you have to give up in your life is sort of what takes it out of you. I think I did it for about, oh God, almost seven years. The whole time I was down there, I did it. And it just, you can't, it's the same thing with a little bit like, it's almost like New York City. I can't imagine having kids and having a family and also having to be a waiter five or six days a week to make that money. It just Plus you're always on. Always on. Late at night, you always have to be. Good evening. Yeah. Everyone else gets out of work and now you have to be on when everyone else is trying to come off. That's actually something Scott talked about last week. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Uh, you were actually saying before we, I want to get back to the Hewitt thing real quick, because you were okay. just saying before uh, before we came on, you guys just celebrated your 700th episode. Yes. Yes. That's very impressive. That's thanks. It's we uh, didn't we didn't ourselves didn't know how long <laughs> it would last, and we're hoping to at least have another uh, seven hundred more. It's funny we've had lots of guests on the show, and one of the constant people whose name keeps getting brought up is Bill Keeler. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had Mark Piersman. He's dealt with Bill in the bag, and everyone has really positive things to say about him because he's been around the area for so long. Has, have you learned anything from working with him, or has he? I think that Bill is an incredibly. Mm-hmm. Um, intelligent, mm. talented, um, resilient human being. He's one of the most generous people I know. It's unfortunate because I think a lot of people take advantage of that mm-hmm. generosity. I could not have imagined before I worked with him how much he could bring to the table. And, and I mean, he's been nothing but positive for WYBX. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, in the beginning, there were people who didn't know how that dynamic would work out and I can honestly say he's one of the greatest talents with whom I've ever worked and I'm so proud of my affiliation with him and with the show and you know also his reverence for the history not only of the area and the station but just for history in general he does so much to you know preserve the history of the Mohawk Valley and just he's just really a champion for this area. Excellent, excellent. That's I've um, I only dealt with him once a very long time ago. I was playing in a band and we were in the Battle of the Bands for Saranac one year, and we came on to do a song live with him. And I was actually a little bit intimidated. He, this is a very long time ago. I'm sure he's like I don't know who this guy is, but um, yeah, he was very generous even then. And I had no reason to be. I was just some punk kid, but he was always he was very nice to me, and I appreciated that at the time. So. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about The Beer Next Door, because as I mentioned, that's where I first came across your name and the product. How long has this show been on the air? Like, how long have you been doing this all together? We've done three episodes. Three episodes. And um, Rick is making a documentary that Mm. will be done sometime next year. And there is, I'm not really allowed to talk too much about this, but there is interest in making a bigger series of that. So I don't know if, if that will actually happen. But for right now, we're doing it you know, just because, A, it's fun to do, and B, we get a chance to meet some really great people mm. and highlight some of the amazing stories behind craft beer yeah. in this area primarily, but also around the country. And I think Rick just kind of yeah. fell into the popularity of craft yeah. beer because he's been working on this on his own for like three years. Was this Rick's like this brainchild? Was Rick's brainchild. Yeah. yeah, this was Rick's brainchild. And, you know, funny... Prior to my moving to Utica, I think I had had four beers in my entire life, <laughs> and I absolutely hated beer. And once you know, you start talking with people who really love beer and love you know the notes and the flavors that you can find in different brews, they'll all tell you the same thing: you didn't like beer because you were drinking the wrong kinds of beer. Oh yeah, yeah. well, because I think when when you're young. You know, when you're drinking at the early age of drinking, you just sort of drink whatever is presented to you. I don't think I really appreciated beer until my late 20s. Mm-hmm. And even now, I've just sort of started coming back around to beer. I'm not really a huge drinker, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I do love the not show. Not unfortunately. Uh, well, I do love the show, and mm-hmm. I think you do a great job. Uh, and I appreciate that because I like craft beers in that way. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, uh, drinking's tough for me. Well, you know, uh, to be honest... I've, I've learned to appreciate it. I have, you know, been in relationships in the past with mm. an alcoholic. My mom was uh, yeah. an alcoholic growing up. My old man was an alcoholic, too, so I'm always a little bit, like, 
So yeah, it, there's that, you know? And so we've actually had the conversation because I think a lot of people take it for granted that, you know, alcohol is so accepted by so many, oh, yeah. especially in this area. Like I've never lived mm. in a city that embraces beer as much. <laughs> I mean, and that's because of Saranac, but uh, and the FX Map Brewery. But well, they do great work, and I love everything that Saranac does. But it is true. I uh, I do notice that even now, and I'm not a huge beer drinker. I'm more prone to drinking beer here in the suburbs in my own house than I was in New York City for whatever reason. I don't mm-hmm. know why. I, maybe it's the maybe it's the cold. I don't know. I can't. Put, I can't always put my finger on it. Um, Christine, I want to thank you very much for taking time out to be on the show. Thank um, you for having me. I can't believe it. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. I'm interesting enough to be interviewed. <laughs> uh, look, you know, it's, I, I always say this, um, there's a lot of really, really creative people in this, in this city and in this region, and in this area. And, um, sometimes you just have to look around and support the people who are doing good stuff because, uh, you know, this is a different, this is a different place now. you can make your creative vision um, it's much more accessible now than it was. I couldn't even make a show like this 10 years ago. There was no technology for it. Just the fact that people now have these creative outlets that weren't there before, I think that's great, and I like supporting it. So I'm glad. I love the work you do. Um, very glad you were here. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Christine Bellino, and you can get her at Twitter at Chris Bellino. They took someone's already Christine Bellino. Someone already had the whole name. No, I think it was too, just too long. <laughs> like too long. Uh, guys, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. said an interesting thing to me at the end of the interview and again thank you very much to Christine she was uh, she was great um, but she said something in the interview she said like the beer next door as a concept was actually pitched to her by one of our like close guys Ricky Lewis another rebel broadcaster another rebel broadcaster so what I didn't throw at her during the interview was I came up with a list of my personal top five favorite beers now I want to stress something <laughs> This is a very personal list that relates only to me, Sam Famolaro, as an individual, and no one else on the podcast. In no way, shape, or form does Sam's <laughs> list of beers reflect on anybody else who's on this show or any relationships, professionally or otherwise, that they may have. <laughs> that being said, Sam, go ahead and these people yeah, your all list. Right. So you it's guys, probably all wrong. It's all you guys can critique me uh, if you've heard of them, but uh, you probably haven't because they're super pretentious and cute. Oh, and strike three, strike I quit. Three, all right. <laughs> Number five, Narragansett Auto Crack Coffee Milk Stout. Seasonal beer out of New England. It was a gift from my longtime podcasting friend, Dan Avisato. A super treat. Can't trust a beer with ten words in the name. Next. <laughs> also, don't drink a lot of stuff Dan hands you. Go. Oh. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> Number four. This is, this, is, this is controversial. Genesee Cream Ale. You love Jenny Screamers so I much. I have a soft spot Listen, in my heart for Jenny Cream Ale. You're a disgusting person. <laughs> That's not a disgusting End person. of conversation. Well, we might as well just drink straight out of the river. And episode 25, Justin Parkinson gets a lot of nerve. God, I hate it. I, I just uh, I hate it. Number three! 
There's another fringe one. Founders Dirty Bastard. Big fan of that Founders Dirty Bastard. Good stuff. The name's appealing, you know? The like, name is appealing. When you see it on the menu, you might as well just... Um, I, I got it at a bar in New York Bold called name. Upstate, which was run by a guy from New Hartford. It was an oyster bar, and he had it on tap because I said, do you have any Saranac? He said, no, we're out of Saranac. He's like, how do you know what Saranac is? And I said, because I'm from Utica. And he said, oh, my God. And he ran out to his car, and he got me a can of UC. And he gave it to me out of his car, a warm can of UC on, in lower Manhattan. <laughs> That's a good wow. Take a drink, because wow. I talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But uh, they didn't ha- he didn't, he's not going to give me all his UCs, so I ended up getting it <laughs> on the cheap <laughs> on Founder's Dirty Bastard at the Upstate yeah. Bar in New York, and I always liked it. Number two. For the beer or the story? Both. Okay. Number two. <laughs> Boddington's. I knew that was going to be on top of your list. A.K.A. White Guinness. One of my all-time favorite soccer-watching, pub-crawling beers for early in the morning with your English breakfast. Good Which stuff. Which you would do often. <laughs> I, not as much anymore, but I do. I do. And that gets us to number one. An endangered beer. Saranac. Black Forest. Now I gotta tell you, the Black Forest from Saranac's a great choice. It's the first thing on the list that's made any sense. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you, a lot of people, I tell you what, when Saranac stopped making Black Forest, there was a very loud vocal minority. Mm-hmm. People are very upset about the Black Forest. You um, and Shamir Gleason. I, uh, I initially, like, was didn't like Black Forest when I was in my early stages yeah. of drinking, a.k.a. when it was only sort of legal. Mm-hmm. A.k.a. not. <laughs> not legal <laughs> at all. Uh, but like Black Forest was like a mid twenties beer that snuck up on me and it became like one of my like anytime yeah. we would have because there's always Saranac like mix pack somewhere in my house or your house or my parents' house or somewhere so I right. would like steal all the Black Forests and my stepdad would get annoyed he'd be like where did you do all the Black Forests I'm like I couldn't you? tell you couldn't yeah. tell you can you know. imagine what a story was like my weirdo stepson <laughs> stealing all my Black, Black Forests forest. I think yeah. he's into the drugs uh, <laughs> so what do you guys I am sure you guys I didn't give you time to come up with five but you guys got me. Hi, hi. We're drinking. All, we're all drinking UCs currently. It's hard to ignore. Yeah, them. that just stays. That feels like, I feel like Utica Club is the people's champ. Yeah, that's. <laughs> that and and Utica Club is the people's yeah. champ. Let me address this. Longest reigning champion. Before I get Twitter hate, people being like, "You didn't put Utica Club on the list." Here's why I didn't put Utica Club yeah. on the list. You ever get that guy who, when you walk up to him, like, "Hey, who's your favorite band?" And he goes, "The Beatles." You go, "All right." Besides the band that everybody likes, who else do you like? Right. That's kind of how UC is around here. What's your favorite beer? UC. All right, besides UC, what else do you yeah. like? So that's why... It's I like if you've got the list, you list. the club is the paper the list is written on. Yeah, exactly. You can do exactly. Um, I used to do a lot of... Uh, my original days in Nail Creek was a lot of Guinnesses for some reason because I was usually in there after... I still go back for Guinness. Yeah. I like Guinness. Well, you know what's nice about Guinness, too? I never found them to be as, as heavy as a lot of people say, uh-huh. and they're pretty low in ABV, so I can actually, like, I can... If I'm hanging out for a while, like, for the night... I can sit and hang on Guinnesses and not really like get too yeah. like full feeling or like get too drunk or whatever. I had, I'm big on Red Stripe. I I did like oh, a whole vacation. Oh, I used to, we used to of Red Stripe. It's so damn kids. expensive, but oh, it's like man. really good. And I the think jars are really the that bottles are cool. I, feel I, like, guess, you know? I saw that. It's, that hit me right in the high school, man. Like yeah. right in the. I feel ooh. like I feel like ninety percent of the reason though I liked Red Stripe besides the killer Red Stripe Hooray beer commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the different bottle shape was yeah. cool. Like it was yeah. cool to just have a different shape. Um, do you remember Rolling Rock? They would do not that the beer was good, but they would give you a thirty-three in the sticker, and I just remember like everybody would like my one friend Ryan in particular would put the. 
stickers all over his car because if they saw you, they'd give you like lifetime rolling rock or something I like that. So he's just constantly putting stupid stickers. You've on his actually car. hit two beers on the quintessential list of like the Sam Famolaro learning how to drink as an mm-hmm. adult list that I probably went through in order. Like there was definitely a rolling rock period in my life. For sure, I, like, I yeah. like rolling rock. And then there was what was it? What we just said before that. Uh, uh, there was definitely a red stripe yep, period. Yep. When I turned 21, matter of fact, the first beer I ever went to legally purchase from a store was a six pack of red stripe because I liked red stripe yeah. at the time. Yeah. So there's an interesting fact about family. There you go. Not interesting, at least. It is a fact. <laughs> I didn't think we would get uh, six and a half minutes out of my crappy beer list. Good work, guys. Hey. You <laughs> talk beer all day, probably. That's true. That's true. <laughs> what do you got? Did you pick a number one? Um, You got, like, an all-timer? I feel like it really shifts for me. I'm one of those people who I'm very affected. Like, what beer I'm having is very affected by if it's, you know, December or July. Yes. Or if I'm, That's like eating a meal or if I'm already full or if I'm hungry or if it's, you yeah. know, like that's it's it's all very affected by like time and day. And also what I've had too, like I'll get on a kick with something like where it's just like for six weeks, the only thing I can order, like if I go out somewhere, like something I'm really into and then all of a sudden it'll just switch and yeah. I'll go through a few and then go on another kick. So it really, really changes for me. Um, ever since ever since the Legacy came out, I can always grab a Legacy if I'm not getting UC. I almost picked it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I you love it's, it's not. It's, it's the, uh, not a bad way to go. What's the one that I've been talking about? It was one of my darkest days in Utica when I drank that. It's it tasted like a wood fire. Was it like Rauschau? Like what was that beer? It, that was a when? limited. Um, it was it was like last March, but it tasted like you were drinking a beer out of a campfire or a smoked turkey or something like that it was the most ridiculous thing it was a smoky really good taste but it was on a limited run and nail had it really I good know. i don't know see it's a twofold for me i love this so much but i also had a very long night i don't know if i could do it again great for <laughs> classic family hot take yeah i'm gonna get some real heat for this on the internet i like the old saranac pale ale better than the new saranac pale ale how about that i'm, I'm how about not- that I'm yep. with you on that take. Yep. I'm a bit. I like. I like. Yep. Their their pale ale in, in general. I like all pale ales. So now, I granted, on that. it's not stopped me from consuming Saranac pale ales. I continue to drink them, but I think nostalgically, and I don't even know if I notice the difference anymore. But I think in my head, I've made that, I've made that connection. You just might be responding to branding. <laughs> branding. <laughs> branding. This is a different label. It's this a different is label. different than what I know. I know. All right, uh, let's move on from beer, guys. It was good. It was good. And I was talking about something uh, that I saw in the news today that I think is funny. We're all sports guys, right? Uh, and we all sort of like to gamble. You like to gamble, Kevin? I hate it, actually. You don't gamble? No. I. You know what my problem is with gambling? I've gone gambling like twice at the casino. And, like, when I lose $20, I'm mad. Yeah. Yep. I'm like, I just had 20 This is, oh, this See, is stupid. This my, is so dumb. The beauty is I gamble... Um, gamble every day. Yeah, on, on a lot of things. I'm always making bets. I'm never paying <laughs> up on them too. But I'm not getting myself in a cash hole. Like I'm not betting somebody fifty bucks that this happens. I'll bet them like, like TK and I have a bet on Star Wars mm. Rotten Tomatoes rating, and I own like a six pack four. I'll get into those bets. I won't pay it, but I'll get into uh, those. That's a fun game. The 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 uh, Rotten Tomatoes ratings game. Yeah. I used to play that at work all the time. For here's just for you guys. If you ever work at a job where you have to talk to people all day long and like be in close contact. The game is you pick a bunch of movies and you make people guess what the Rotten Tomatoes scores are, uh, and then whoever the closest wins, and you just do that all day. It's a lot of fun. Not bad. It's a good game. Anyhow, uh, so <laughs> let's go back to the story. Uh, so this is the overarching story. Pete Rose, legendary mm-hmm. baseball cheater and, <laughs> and all-time hit king, uh, Pete Rose, applied for reinstatement into the uh, Major League Baseball like family and was again denied this time by Commissioner Rob Manfield. Manfred. Manfred. Yeah. Manfred. <laughs> Rome's uh, own. Rome's own. 
Is he from Rome? Yeah, know that. Get it wow, together. Yeah. Uh, so, and one of the things that came up in this story is that Pete Rose has not stopped gambling since the time he... <laughs> Sounds like, like a true gambling guy. Like <laughs> uh, this sort of... Shouldn't correlate. people be led to the Hall of Fame for their consistency? Yeah. <laughs> he does. Uh, yeah, now, mind you, I, on a personal note, I think that everyone should make the Hall of Fame. I think Bond should be in the Hall of Fame. I think McGuire should be... I think all of... Let them all in because it's a game, and I don't really care if they're, like bad dudes or not but you can make an argument to me that like steroids ruin the game but i don't i don't have as much of a problem with gambling yeah. in hindsight right like the pete rose thing compared to all the other arguments that people have for like why steroid abusers shouldn't make the hall of fame the gambling pete rose one seems less credible in hindsight it makes me sad that he's kind of not in the hall of well fame. see what happened with with sports this Pete Rose goes. Gambling was like a big first scandal that rocked baseball. So had had gambling steroids come before gambling, I think it's not a different first scandal though. No, baseball had a scandal. Go- no, yeah, um, not Pete Rose's. I'm saying gambling in baseball was one of their first okay. big things. Oh, like really their- yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the the perception of those early 20s, like gambling, was pretty relevant in baseball. Yeah, in yeah. Early Chicago Black Sox. Exactly, yeah, that was Joe. But in that whole time frame, it was, yeah, yeah, you know, all of it. So when it came up to Pete Rose, there was already that stigma that like the public perception for all those years especially with Shoeless Joe was that this is un I think, you know no, I think part of it no is also know, you know? a lot of it with a guy like Pete Rose who gets so many hits and doing like this and this I might not really know about because I wasn't alive at the time so I only have like you know looking back to look at but I feel like for a guy like that who's so good and who's getting all these hits and who's like you know going like forward is like oh you know this guy is you know one of like the great players it, it's the type of thing where like if you know Something bad happened with a guy like a Derek Jeter. The reaction is so much more severe because of the higher profile of it. If they had caught like some miscellaneous, like you know, third to second tier guy gambling, I don't think it would have been as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But like the Pete Rose thing, it's become such a piece of cultural folklore, like yeah. Pete Rose and gambling on baseball and banned for life. That it's the you know, the story itself now is bigger than the actual event, just because of like what it is, the way it's gotten built yeah. up. I don't know if we ever. Well, I think it. it's, it's he should. It's dumbed. Yeah. It's ever. dumbed down a lot now too. Is that you think of him gambling? He was coaching the team and like betting on it. Like that's pretty bad. But you can have someone like A. Rod who gets caught well, twice and still on just the like team and betting on it. He was coaching. Coaching. Is no, 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 but, no, but but was he when he was a player? Was he betting on the game? I don't know. You I'm might, not, I'm you not have trying to probably point, just but. look back into that. Um, the, the premises of that he was active in baseball gambling on on things that in in part when he was a manager he had control of so he could literally pull a guy like he was sure. he was dictating the result I get that you know what I, mean? and I understand that point but as a player he has more hits than anyone else in Major League Baseball as of, a, as a player Hall of Fame goes on on the field and off though. Does it? Yeah. Why? It's, Why does Todd is a piece of garbage? It's a character. Different time. No. Different, different time. time. Yeah. Mm. Baseball, I swear to God, the Hall of Fame is based uh, on integrity of a player on the field and office as a person and everything. That's where the whole holdup is on steroids and all this stuff is you're dictating what you do on the field performance-wise but what kind of guy you were off of it. So it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like soft-spoken Greg Maddox, great pitcher, but also okay, I think, well, if you're gonna, great guy if, off if the you're, field. If you're going to make the field. argument that it's somebody being a product of their time and so like Ty Cobb, who's widely renowned as a despicable human being, is in because it was different times, I think you can make that same argument that Pete Rose is banned for life because there was gambling and it was such a big deal at his time, but that was different times and this is now different times. And looking back through the lens now, 
I don't think there's any reason for us in 2015 to feel the need to keep Pete Rose out. Because even if you put Pete Rose in tomorrow, people aren't going to forget. It's been enough time gone since his crime. He's an old man. Let him He's, go. Let he him has in. not... He has not recovered or what been has he forgiven done? or anything. How many people, because you, know, you let him in tomorrow as a guy who's still gambling. Recover? Just, what, what does that mean? You've got people. He hasn't learned his lesson. Like you've he was got, kicked out for lesson? doing, for gambling on athletics. He's not a baseball player. What, what yeah. he does in his private life has no, it has, it has no you, bearing whatsoever. I, I, here, uh, here's the thing. You guys are wrong. If you've got, no, you're wrong because here's the thing. You've got so many people in America who do things like. DraftKings, FanDuel, mm. everybody I know is in a football pool. Half of my friends have bookies. Everybody, I think my aunt runs numbers, for God's sakes. That's a joke, but I'm saying, like, people in families and everything like that, everybody gambles on sports to some degree. It's just a matter of time before we see it all legalized. You get Vegas lines you, for everything that they put out on hey. ESPN. Hang on. He's not playing anymore. He needs to be put back into the consideration for the Hall of Fame because he's an old man, and let him gamble and be an old man because he does not play anymore. What he did compared to Ray Lewis works for ESPN for football, and he killed a guy. He did. You remember there that is no guy? reason that we Preaching can't let Pete Rose as an old man in the Hall of Fame because of the good that he did and not let one incident, no matter how long it was kept up after, be the entire mark of one man's legacy and character. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame. Done. No, it's not gonna happen. The passion. It's not gonna happen. He's done now. Um, I mean, it's it's not happening. Uh, I'm glad you brought the DraftKings thing. Uh, I was looking it up today because I keep getting mixed stories about whether DraftKings and FanDuel are legal. I don't do DraftKings. I don't really know. Like you, I do you guys have kind of explained it to me a little bit, but I don't even really get what they're doing. Uh, look, DraftKings is most certainly gambling. And also, that's why the only way to make fantasy fun for me. Like, I can see that being appealing. Right, you know? that's fair. It's fun. I don't want to wear it all week with the same team. Look, it's, it's got its merits. Brand me with the Scarlet G. <laughs> I enjoy gambling. Right? <laughs> like, look, DraftKings, if you know what you're doing, you know what you're signing up for, it's a lot of fun. But if the argument against whether DraftKings and FanDuel should be legal is, is it gambling? The answer is very clearly, yes, it's gambling. The argument is, oh well, it takes skill. You got to know about the the players and it who takes to start. Skill to play poker too. It does play a lot of skill to play. Take a lot of skill to play poker. And you know what poker is? Gambling. It's gambling. Yeah. It's ga- and you know what else I love? Poker. <laughs> I do like poker. That's true. Well, you know what's. Uh, and with, uh, I'll tell you what though, but that's the reason that I like DraftKings because I'm a sports nerd. So when I play DraftKings, I think to myself, I have an edge over all these fish. Who don't know what the hell they're talking about? They don't know where the money is on Jamie Vardy yeah. on a Sunday ETL game. That is they true. don't know where the money here's, is on a B-list relief picture on the Marlins on a Tuesday night. Yeah. From somebody who doesn't do DraftKings or FanDuel, all I ever hear about, like from you guys, especially Sam with you, I hear the only time you ever really talk about DraftKings is like other bets you have going with like other friends of ours for like twenty bucks, and well, like it's not. Yes, that's different. Um, so. I've talked about that before. Right. That's basically like a, a, a group pool. That would be like if you and me and Park and uh, Mark Simon and Cliff, you know, sure. Montani, yeah, yeah. Montoni, Montoni, <laughs> all got together and watched the soccer game and said, hey, man, I got 20 bucks on Man U. And you're like, oh, I got 20 bucks on whatever, right? Mm-hmm. What you can also do is you can join into like a nationwide pool of strangers, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, all right, so there's a thousand people in this league. Mm-hmm. And if you end up in the top 50, you get paid out in staggered increments, right? I trust myself. I look at the lineups. Oh, there's 10 games today. Oh, I look at the lineups. I can can make this. I can beat all these people. I know where all the plays are. Sturge, you're going to have 10 goals today. Ba-ba-ba-ba. 
what I mean? And then I play and I lose and I get frustrated because it's gambling. Your skill does not matter because like, it comes down to complete chance. No, it's, it's all <laughs> chance. See, and, my thing yeah. with, with, with illegalizing all this stuff is what do we what do we think we're protecting people from by stopping them from gambling? And I know what it is because the only people who have really made a real beef towards these companies is New York State. And you look at what New York State's saying and doing, New York State's message is very, very clear. We're not going to allow you to make money on gambling in our state unless we can also make money on yeah, gambling yeah. in our state. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guarantee, you know, they come out and this attorney general is like, no, we're not going to have DraftKings FanDuel here in New York. We just don't stand for that. What that means is renegotiate. We're not getting our money here and all. Yeah. That's what that is. And so that'll be back. But, like, you know, if you want to tax it, yeah, tax it. You know, get something going on. But if people want to gamble, let them gamble. If you let people buy alcohol, they can ruin their life with that. If they can ruin their life with gambling, let them ruin their life that way. You're Whatever. real delinquent today, Kevin. Man, I've had it. Rabble rouser. <laughs> Jeez. Guys, good work. Uh, we should start a fantasy podcast league. Just draft people from the podcast. I'm taking Kevin first. <laughs> I'm taking him number one. Who you got? Myself, always. <laughs> That's about right. <laughs> uh, hopefully, Aaron will be back here for next week's I spectacular. Oh, next week is the Christmas. You do not want so the episode's gonna be like five hours long, and we're just yelling and screaming about Christmas. We're bringing everybody we know up here. You can borrow my suit. You can borrow my suit. It's gonna happen nonstop. Christmas. I figured you would have been stopped by now. Did you talk about the Beaver Street?